Okay, welcome back to The Right Hook, Shane Coleman, with you until 7 o'clock, filling in for George today. Now, as ever, at this time, uh, Bill Hughes has popped in with his essential songs. And uh, this year, Bill, what what year are we talking about? 1991, Shane. Mm. 1991, a very difficult year to whittle down. Really? Because, in general, the music scene wasn't so rich in 1991, but what was good was really good. Okay. And I... You know, there was great dance music from Two Unlimited. There was great alternative Brit sounds from James, Sit Down. You know, there was there was yeah, really good stuff yeah. around. But I've decided on, on three songs. They're representative of the music of the period. And one of them is what I would call, it. well, they'd be one of my favourite rock bands of all time, R.E.M. Okay. And I loved their sound. I loved what they were about. I loved what they turned their career into, how worthwhile they were, particularly Michael Stipe and Peter Buck. Um, And I was lucky enough to meet them at the, you know, before they broke big. And they were two really very pleasant, good guys whose heads were on their shoulder. They were very articulate. They were very engaged with what they could do and what could be achieved out of music. And that it wasn't just music, but it, that it was consciousness. W- was and they tapped into consciousness. And I like that. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, mm. Was this the year they became huge? Um, it was their... So losing My Religion was this year, I think, as well. Losing My Religion, yeah. I mean, when you look at years that meant something to them, like, for me... Automatic for the People in 92 was the year after. Out right. of Time in 91, very good. But um, if, if we take it back, right, okay, yeah. here they are, Shiny Happy People, it's the R.E.M. And the the great uh, backing vocalist on Shiny Happy People is Kate Pearson from the B-52s. And so, but you've got a, a lineup with Bill Berry, Peter Buck, Mike Mills and Michael Stipe. And having got together in Georgia, um, in Athens, Georgia, not exactly a place you would think rock music would come from. It was very much a country place. Yeah. They were very into art, uh, uh, alternative rock. And back in 1981, 10 full years before this song, uh, they had, had been doing Radio Free Europe was their, their first attempt at getting public attention. But they were very lucky because they were operating at a time when college radio was at its most powerful. This is pre-Facebook, pre-Twitter, pre-any other way of letting... So students knew how music was good or what good music there was because of college radio. Yeah. And the number of Irish... Like, you too broke on college yeah, radio. Yeah. The, the Smiths would have been the, the same. The Smiths yeah. broke on college radio. But Irish bands, like... Tom, Tom Donnelly's here, but Something Happens were huge on college radio. Really? Yeah, a yeah. house were massive on college radio. Like they had number ones on co- American college radio. And college radio was so powerful that Rolling Stone actually published the top ten of college radio oh, in yeah. the back yeah, right. next to Billboard. It's not still so, that way, is it? So uh, I think occasionally they make reference, but it's just not the same now. It's yeah. all different feeds yeah. and different online feeds. But this particular song, there's something about it. It represents... Uh, an optimism going into the 90s coming out of the the post 80s thing and it's, it's a very un Michael Stipe song in that very respect very un isn't it? yeah 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 because he's not the you know you what you were saying he's a very decent very honorable yeah. kind of guy but he's not a sort of a naturally upbeat kind of fellow no he's not at all like what's the frequency Kenneth you know yeah. so you think of the songs that but but they have 
Um, there are just so many songs that I like from their song book. But this particular song, Shiny Happy People from 1991, just gets me going. I think there's something really great about it. And they were viewed subsequently uh, by people like Nirvana and Pavement as having paved the way, that they they had created the alternative rock genre as such. And so a lot of acts who came along after them were very grateful to them. Um, right up to, you know, when they just decided to, to, to split up. They disbanded in 2011 um, and they announced their split on a website. Now, Bill Berry had long gone. Mm. Um, they kind of run out of steam a little bit. They had they? run out of steam and creative steam. And that's why it's amazing that bands who stay together for a very long time uh who can still come up with the goods are very few and far between. Yeah. And R.E.M., individually, they never really did anything that exciting. It was only when they were together that they were really exciting. Yeah, okay. Okay. And particularly that, that guitar sound that Peter Buck had. And he's just such a huge, impressive fella. Like when you met him, he it felt like you were meeting a big American athlete. Yeah. Whereas when you met Michael Stipe, you felt Skinny, like you were meeting yeah. Pee Wee Herman. You know, yeah. just a tiny little fella. Yeah. And and then with the shaved head and then with the really gaunt uh, appearance, you know, he he's just uh, quite an enigma. But he is a poet, I think, in yeah. many ways. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and so this song is a big upbeat. I'm great. I, I'm I'm really happy that it's there for 1991. Okay, good stuff. Let's uh, let's listen to REM. Shiny happy people.
R.E.M. Shiny Happy People one of Bill Hughes' essential songs of 1991 um, there's a real B-52's riff to it all yeah, right. I hadn't well, realised till you told me that the, the Kate, singer Kate Pearson, Kate yeah, Pearson is, is the backing the singer B-52's, there. Yeah, That's a, it's great. a very upbeat uh, it's a really upbeat song um, let, let's go on to your next choice oh, um, okay. uh, Brian Adams Everything I Do I Do It For You nah I'm only joking <laughs> but that, that was number one for something like 16 weeks or something that was it? the biggest song of 1991 yeah. and I'm allergic to it so oh, that's why we're I think, not hearing it today I think Brian Adams is probably allergic well, to I it think that, I thought that would please you that I didn't I am very that. pleased <laughs> I, I am indeed pleased that. okay um, now, so tell me your second choice okay then. this was probably and still is to this day the strangest mashup of people coming together to have a hit record. Mm. When on the one hand I say Tammy Wynette and then on the other hand I say the KLF, uh, that's just quite mad. And together they did Justified and Ancient. Now the KLF as a British band, Bill Drummond and Jimmy Cauty, they were just nuts Mm. and they were completely nuts and everything was about making a statement and being artistic and they had been the Justified Ancients of Moo Moo and they were completely inspired by the Illuminatus trilogy. Oh, wow. okay. That was their stuff. Right. And okay. that's what drove them. But, you know, this here they were in 1991 and this was number one all over the world. Justified and Ancient, the KLF and Tammy Wynette. And in 1992, they were so anti everything that they'd have achieved that they had their entire back catalogue deleted and they walked out of the business. Never to be heard Never of from again? Never to be heard of again as as the KLF. Now, they had done so much stuff. The, the thing was, right, when you look at these people, and this music is just so brilliant and, and it's huge, and, and you look at, at what Bill Drummond had achieved, like, he was a very established figure in the music industry. He was, you know, the manager of Echo and the Bunnymen. He was the manager of the Teardrop Explodes. And I remember the Teardrop Explodes for their great number one reward. I know I'll have my reward. It's a fantastic Wash song. my cotton socks. I'm in the news. Yeah? Oh, opening, opening line, I think. Is, you like yeah. that? Very good. Yeah. Well, on the 21st of July, he resigned as an A&R man uh, back in 1986 to establish 
to, to set up what he really wanted to do. And the reason he retired when he retired was because he was 33 and a third. And 33 <laughs> and a third was the speed that long playing records were played at. Seems like a, a good reason. And he just went, do you know what? That's how vinyl revolves. That's not how I want to revolve. And I want to go to the top of the mountain and look down on everybody. And so he went off on this odyssey, like clearly an ego out of control. And he he was quite a quite a crazy character. But um, uh, how did the link up with Tammy Wynette come about? Uh, I mean, she was your, you know, classic queen of country. I of. think her tour manager or her road manager had been playing music from the KLF when they were on the road. Like those long journeys between gigs, all sorts of stuff. You can only listen to so much radio. After a while, you have to have your own personal choice and yeah. music goes on. And I think it was then that they, they heard and the, there was this send up, a parody that she heard of them doing Stand By Your Man. And they had done this whole thing called Stand By The Jams which was uh, with verses featuring the vocals of American country music singers. And that was the whole point of how it the mashup started. Okay. And she was approached and she said yes. And then I think I'm right when I say that they went on stage in Glastonbury and she came on to sing her part. Well, in, in which wouldn't have been her natural habitat. Not at all then in 1991. Yeah. Like sure, Dolly Parton and those are doing it now. Yeah. They've all come late to it. Yeah. But back then, like Tammy was really pushing the pushing the boundaries. <coughs> the song, it's a bit bonkers, the song, isn't it? Of course it is. Yeah. It's completely mad. It's completely drug infested. These are ecstasy days. These are when people were experimenting with all sorts of drugs. This wasn't the heroin and the LSD of the 60s. This was just mad uh, synthesised drugs that people could buy and, you know, if they had their local chemist or their friends who would sort them out with whatever pills to be popped, they popped the pills, felt extremely happy and came up with this. Okay. Um, why does it work as a song, do you think? I, I, I think you respond to it. I think there's just a madness about it. The first time you hear it, you can't believe you're hearing it. The second time you hear it, you think that's rather good. And by the third and fourth time you hear it, you you just love it. And uh, would you, I mean, it's what, 25 years ago now. I mean, yeah. Would you still put that on to your... Oh yeah, I have the White Room album. Yeah. I am one of the people who has the White Room album. But you know, they did some mad stuff. You know, they made so much profit and they were so resentful of paying tax on it that they had said that as a, a, a performance art piece that they were going to burn one million pounds. Oh, that sterling. was them. That was them. Wow. And they did. They set fire it was them, to a million pounds yeah. sterling rather than pay it in tax. They burned it. Yeah. But these are the crazy people. Yeah. I think if George was here right now, he'd be, what? what? <laughs> he'd be incandescent. <laughs> I think he would be incandescent. So that's kind of mad. I'd forgotten that story. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, they'd appeared on the stage during the 1992 Brit Awards and they scared the living daylights out of, they told the industry what they thought of the industry because they got machine guns out and they fired blanks at the audience. Yeah, different, different uh, era. You I wouldn't mean, be doing Im- that imagine now. if you did it now. You would not be doing that now. No. And then they had a dro- dead sheep dropped on the post-show party. Like th- these guys were just off the wall. Yeah. And an awful lot was of it, it all an act or was it ah, genuine? Some of it was attention-seeking. Yeah, you know, and you know, you can only use the term postmodernist so often before you turn into some kind of, you know. Um, but justified and ancient. 
the KLF featuring the one and only Tammy Wynette. And like, I can't even give you uh, the title of their debut album because the F word is all over the title of their debut album. Well, say F. 1987, what the F is going on. Okay. That's the title of the album. All right. <laughs> These guys really don't care. Well, I'll tell you what the F is going on. It's um, <laughs> Justified and Ancient. Tammy Wynette and the KLF. And uh, the KLF. Uh, did, did you go clubbing to that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. You did. Yeah, so did I. Definitely. I um, if 
you know, if if you could have heard the nostalgia from uh, Bill Hughes during that song, <laughs> it was a kind of his mind kind of the eyes went off. He drifted away to a different century, a different millennium. Oh, I was in ecstasy there for a short while. I was. I was, I was seeing visions of the saints. <laughs> You're listening to Bill Hughes, you you probably know already. He's going through his essential songs. The year, as you heard, is 1991. Hard to believe, a bit frightening to believe it's 25 years ago. Um, Bill, what's your third choice? Well, I'm going to make the point again that it was very, very difficult to come down to only three songs from that year. To sum up, you're saying not a great year for music. Not a great year, but there were classics. Yeah. Like, I I laid out 12 songs in front of myself to set this up. And, and, And any of the 12 could have made it. So, no doubt... Uh, the producer will be allowing me to return to 1991 because there are great songs from He has given us the thumbs year. up, yes. Yes, oh, good, yeah. good, good, good. Well, my final song that I had to choose was a turning point in in hip-hop. And hip-hop has become such an amazing piece, of, uh, sort of part of the music industry. But this song holds the distinction of being the first number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 chart following the introduction of the Nielsen sound scan on the charts, which is the first truly accurate way of telling sales and radio play and combining them to make okay. the number one. All right. And this became the, the number one. And it was a hip hop song and it's called Set Adrift on Memory Bliss by the American hip hop group PM Dawn. Now, do you remember this? I have to admit, I had forgotten about it. Oh, my God. This was the soundtrack to my summer. Really? This was the sound. There was an album of the heart of the soul and of the cross, the utopian experience. And that was the soundtrack to my summer. This was the most beautiful song. And it was the first time that I didn't mind that somebody had sampled a song. Now sampling has become a really key thing. Cliche, or uh, I was going to say cliche. Yeah, or cliche, no, you are, yeah, cliche. Yeah. And, you know, recently having watched I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here and having been so disillusioned with the oik that Tony Hadley has become <laughs> because I was such a fan of Were Spandau you, you Ballet. Fan of Ballet I loved Spandau Ballet and I particularly loved the song True. And they sampled, PM Dawn sampled True in this song. And it's just beautiful. Um, They're formed in 1988 by brothers Atrell Cordes, known by his stage name as Prince B, sometimes credited as Prince B the Nocturnal, and (laughs) Jarrett Cordes, known as DJ Minute Mix. Uh, And they were formed in Jersey City in New Jersey. And they were merging hip-hop, older soul, and pop-orientated urban R&B. So this was a real melting pot of styles. And, you know, they they had a debut single, Ode to a Forgetful Mind, in 1988. But then it was when they brought the album of the Heart of the Soul of the Cross, the Utopian Experience, in 1991. Critics went nuts. Everybody loved it. It got immediate uh, commercial success. And a lot of the commercial success was on the back of this song, Set Adrift on Memory Bliss. And, you know, Listening to these guys, they 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 were they were amazing guys. They were brought up. Their father died of pneumonia when they were kids, and then their kid brother uh, Duncan he drowned at the age of two, and so they were brought up by their stepfather George Brown, who actually was the founding member of Cool and the Gang, and you know okay. get down on it and yeah, yeah. celebrate. Yeah. And all. So they were. Brought so up, music was in there. They were brought into a house family, of music yeah, yeah. and that's how they grew up. And and so there they were in New Jersey figuring what are we going to do? Because obviously Cool and the Gang were far too 
popular for them, you know, yeah. or populist yeah. for them. And uh, well, so different just, era, I suppose. Yeah, different yeah. era. And so they started to blend all those styles. And so their influence was coming from British pop and to mix that with R&B yeah, and to mix you'd it You'd imagine with, they would have hated kind of Spandau Ballet's true, wouldn't well, you? Well, no, because Spandau Ballet were so cool at the time and they really were cool. And, uh, you know, they 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 shared, um, I think, that sense of what what it was. Everybody who wasn't in New York, like people in New Jersey were derided for being from New Jersey. Like Amer- New Yorkers would just laugh. A bit like here in Ireland for years, there was a Kerryman joke. And the Kerryman joke, jokes were, were not supposed to be complimentary. Mm. And as we've all discovered, the Kerryman ruled the world. Yeah, you know, the, really? the joke is on us. Yeah, <laughs> The joke is on us. And much the same with New Jersey because you've got Springsteen and people like that coming from New Jersey and John Bon Jovi and you know that that is a big sort of spine of the American rock music tradition but for these guys New Jersey wasn't exactly a centre of soul it wasn't a centre of hip hop but they brought this urban R&B together and set adrift on memory bliss for me as the soundtrack to my summer of 1991 there's no question about it mm. Uh, did they did they go on to great things after that? No. Or was this very much the, the the high point? They they had subsequent albums. Jesus wept in nineteen ninety five. Dearest Christian, I'm so very sorry for bringing you here, love Dad. In nineteen ninety eight. Not exactly the catchiest uh, no, for a no, record I've ever heard. No, they got really great reviews. Those albums, really yeah. great reviews, but, but they just didn't sell. Uh, nobody cared. They they just didn't cross over. And I loved their sound of music and I, I really loved the vocal level that they brought in. I loved their light instrumentation. I loved their beat. Um, I thought their visuals were incredible in their videos. Um, they were very rich. They were They were quite intellectual in many ways, but it just didn't work for them. And that's what happens, you know. Um, but they're still making money on this song, I suspect. Yeah, though. yeah. Like they had a, a the Bliss album in 1993, which was, again, a huge critical hit. They had the hit single, I Die Without You and Looking Through uh, Patient Eyes. But that was kind of their last big flirtation with mainstream success. Okay. And so they haven't had a mainstream success in a very, very long time. Fascinating choices. You, you want to come back to 1991 oh, in the yeah, future? Oh, yeah, there's loads. Yeah, there's loads. You're back with us next week, but it's essential Christmas songs. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay, I'm looking forward to I have to, to go that. off and really decide what are essential Christmas songs. Yeah, I mean, there's so many of them. Mm. Not that many great ones, but... Ah, does enough that though, isn't that'd it? Be, that'd be Shane. You'd have to say that, wouldn't I you? I would. I'd have to come much in me. I do love um, Bing Crosby and um, David Bowie, so I have to say that is my favourite The drummer boy. Yeah, it's I beautiful. do like that one. Yeah, it's absolutely That's beautiful. Gorgeous, yeah. I, I tell you what, there be won't be. There won't be Cliff Richard. Okay, I can tell you that enough. for nothing. Listen, we better not steal George's uh, thunder no. and indeed your thunder next week. Bill, as ever, uh, thanks for coming into us. Uh, the year was 1991. Um, you heard OEM, uh, Shiny Happy People. You heard the KLF with Tammy Wynette, Justified and Ancient. We're going to play out with PM Dawn. Set adrift on Memory Bliss. <laughs> Set adrift on memory bliss of you. Maybe you send 
think it's one of those deja vu things Or a dream is trying to tell me something But will I ever stop thinking about it? I don't know, I doubt it Subterranean by design I wonder what I would find if I met you Let my eyes caress you Until I meet the daughter of Mrs. Princess Who often wonder what makes her work I guess I'll leave that question to the experts Assuming that there are some out there But probably alone, solitaire I can remember when I caught up with a pastime intimate friend She said, but you're probably gonna say I look lovely But you probably don't think nothing of me She was right though, I can't lie She's just one of those corners of my mind And I'll just put it right back with the rest That's the way it goes, I guess Wishbone and wish for a sign. They told the whispers in my heart were fine. 